two. Oops, all monsters. A deadly, unserious show about creatures, cryptids, and curiosities curated by two weirdos from wild and wonderful West Virginia. That weirdo with me, when I can get him to stop pouring visine into his one giant eyeball, is Gavin. I'm Gavin. With me, that weirdo over there who also has a visine problem is Hess. And we are here to, uh, as we are each week, delight and edify you with tales of mysterious monsters from mythology, film, literature, TV, as well as gaming, both from the bo- from inside the box and in your console and beyond. Um, we each bring a monster into the shop, unknown to uh, the other host at the time. We don't know what we're going to talk about ahead of time, so I've got my topic, Gavin, Gavin's got his topic, and then we present them to each other and to you, the readers, uh, for your edification uh, and hopefully enjoyment. So, um, look, before we scare you off, let's get to the monsters. Wake up! Wake up, slimy fish! Your band of heroes has been battling through the deceptively square and symmetrical corridors of these dungeons for what seems like weeks now. And each time you defeat another villainous monster, your clever escape pulls you, inexorably, into yet another more treacherous, more elaborate dungeon, populated with skeletons and the undead, goblins, orcs, and chaotic, magic-wielding battlemasters, and worse more dreadful and mysterious devils that defy easy explanation. Your trusty comrade, the dwarf, has been pointing out and disabling the wicked traps the goblins have set to slow your way. The brawny barbarian hews her way through orc flesh in a dance of blood and viscera, the clanging of her broadsword ringing like mad music in the long echoing halls. As you open the door to the next chamber, it appears empty. But the wizard readies his fire spells nevertheless, and you, the plucky elf, ready your bow, but are prepared to cast your arcane trickery should a water spell be needed. The dwarf, determining that the treasure chest in the far corner of the room conceals no deadly traps, opens it, revealing a magical dagger. But wait! Crash! A massive, deformed shape explodes through the far door. Ten feet high, it wields a massive battle axe in its goliath fist. An unnatural club tail flicking behind it like a meaty flail. This green-skinned monstrosity shrieks in a guttural, bestial tongue. Its massive, single eye rolls inside its glassy, watermelon-sized head, dotting around the room, and it brings its massive axe down on the dwarf. You loose an arrow at the great abomination, something between wretch and reptile, but it clangs off a strange circular plate adorning its massive belly, a rusting (laughs) steel bowl adorned with indescribable alien filigree. So, Gavin, what is is it? What what have I brought? You have brought the femur from Mm -hmm. HeroQuest. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, as, I, as I recall, yeah, you canonically say femur as if as if a, a massive leg bone um, picked yes, up by a, uh, <laughs> a, a rascally dog in the movie uh, The Burbs. And <laughs> I cannot help but say femur. Um, femur. <laughs> so 
yeah, if um, Hasbro or Games Workshop or somebody wants to, um, yeah. if Steve Baker wants to tell me wh- which of us is getting it right, um, somebody get us. It's probably at, it's probably Femir. I'd, I'm not I, saying I just I'm say right. Femur I cannot I say it. it when I, was I cannot 12. say it. Femur. Um, <laughs> I say Femur. I don't know. Whatever the emphasis is, is somebody tell us. So, yeah. Oopsallmonsters <laughs> at gmail.com. And I, whatever it is, I will refuse to uh, change how I say it. I say it Femur. It, but it is a biz- it's a <laughs> random word. It is F-I-M-I-R, not F-E-M-U-R, but F-I-M-I-R. Yeah. Um, and before we get too far into it, I'm sure people are going, what the flying fuck are they talking about? Um, <laughs> so uh, the, the world that I put that little the narrative um, uh, teaser in is the world of Hero Quest, which is a, a box a box sword and sorcery game that was put out uh, by Milton Bradley um, in 1989, which is kind of a foundational proto uh, Dungeons and Dragons box game for uh, Gavin and I and various friends of ours. It's kind of like a precursor. It's kind of like two, two Dungeons and Dragons. I think the easiest way to describe it would be like um, it's like uh, I had it in my brain. It's like Gauntlet the video game as a box yeah. game. Yeah, you know what I mean. Because you've got the the template of your four uh, heroes is exactly the same. It is that um, foundational square template of the, the the wizard and the barbarian at one end. You know, you got the smashy guy and the 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 fire shooting guy at, at either ends of the spectrum, and then in in between those. The dwarf and the elf, who are kind of mid-range characters with special abilities. The the elf is um, uh, canonically given a little bit of magic and a little bit of fighting, and the dwarf is given uh, a little bit of fighting and being particularly tough and difficult to kill and being able to navigate dealing with traps. And that's really about as complicated as the game gets mechanically at all. Um, yeah. It is an extremely bare-bones game. It's described as being appropriate for ages 10 and up. Um, and when it was um, when it was published in 1989, it was a, uh, a massive success, actually. It made, it, made, it, made a ton of freaking money. Um, yeah. And became kind of the, the... Set the stage for a ton of kids like us that would become D&D freaks in the subsequent, you know... 10 years following having acquired uh, Hero Quest, it, it became the uh, aperitif or um, appetizer that led to the actual feast of proper gaming. So, um, <laughs> does, that sound, does that sound accurate to you? Yeah, I mean, I'm laughing because aperitif was one of my uh, words. Was one of your uh, vocab words? Yeah. Why? <laughs> Um, because I've been saying appetif for uh, 20 years incorrectly. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and I just okay. learned that it's aperitif. But yes, it's an aperitif for yeah, uh, a, the Dungeons and Dragons yeah, exploration. It's like, it's like foreplay for becoming a proper gamer. Because yeah. 
in in what what we did immediately is we were played a, a pile of games that's like exactly in that there are other games at the time uh, that are in exactly the same genre of um, role playing adjacent uh, sword and sorcery box games and then related games were. We also played Battlemasters, which was kind of a version that was like a big... You kind of had to play yeah. it on the floor because it was so big. It was huge. And it had more of a um, big table strategy moving troops around the... Yeah, that uh, was supposed to be... around the room kind of emphasis. Where yeah, that was it supposed was, to be it was an more of It was more of a proto-Warhammer, I guess is how yeah. you would think about it. But with little plastic pieces. My friend Colin and I played the, the shit out of that in his like attic room. Um, and you had, you had that, right? You, you, did you have, Yeah, you had it. I had that because I wanted to cut up the bases and have more pieces for hero quests. Right. And the, and the, and so there were some other games and this is all going to come back to in, within this, this sub genre that had a flourishing period in this time, hero quest was the pinnacle of any of these games. The, the the quality of it, uh, in terms of just efficiency, design, Aesthetics, the adventures that they gave you, every single aspect of the game was superior to any other game, even in the vicinity of it. the the only the I think the only game that came close in almost any vector was the was uh, Dragon Strike, and only because of the terrible VHS video <laughs> that ended up being hours and hours of um, delightful, ironic ridicule for us when we consumed yeah, it. Dragon Strike we're was gonna like have a pale to do, imitation. Um, yeah, we're going to have to do a whole feature on the Dragon Strike video. Yeah, well, maybe like, I don't know, when we get a Patreon, we might have to do us, us doing the Dragon Strike video just like for the Patreons because yeah. it is, it's a whole thing. But anyway, dra- the Dragon Strike is kind of like the redheaded stepchild uh, of... Hero Quest. It's got some good elements. It's got some interesting minis, like you know, it's got a fire elemental, and it f- comes with a freaking dragon mini, which you know is okay. But the mechanics yeah. and the world and the and the and the the tiles, they don't have an internal logic and like a and a system and a and a vibe like Hero Strike does. It really wins in all categories. Um, the other yeah, one it's... that we kind of grew into because it had a terrifying like demonic steampunk energy and kind of like yeah. quasi cyberpunk yeah. direction was um we played mutant, mutant chronicles, chronicles. Right? yeah um, mutant and, fucking chronicles uh, yeah i have no idea what the countdown will be before one of us brings something from mutant chronicles because i was <laughs> almost tempted to do that but having the hero quest i because i have a, a full copy of hero quest in the house so when i was digging yeah. around thinking like what can i bring this week I'm like, ah, it's, you know, I should bring I should bring an interesting thing for from from Hero Quest. So, now that you guys have the idea of what's going on, we'll we'll include a link of the hilarious uh, bearded gentleman that has that kind of like memeable the best thing about Hero Quest is the gargoyle yeah. video. That yeah. guy's a champ. Um, the best thing about Hero Quest is the gargoyle. It is the finest miniature in the land. Compared to this, this is rubbish. This is brilliant. This is an abomination. This is a gargoyle. So we'll definitely Gravity link to that. Land. And if you have not seen that, if you're like a nerd, if you're somehow on the edge of the Venn yeah. diagram where you're <laughs> listening to this show, but have not seen that YouTube video, that is the first thing you should do right now because that guy is a champion of human beings. Um, but it's, he, uh, 
Bardic broadcasts. At Bardic YouTube. broadcasts. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I just I just watched it to to prepare myself for this. So you, you yeah. got to go see it. It's fantastic. This is an abomination. It, it is a children's game, but the uh, level of attention that they put into it and the you can make these this style this genre of children's game badly, which almost everyone does, and then you can do them like HeroQuest did, which is uh, essentially absolutely perfect with no fat no fat unnecessary on on the cut of meat exactly what is there is exactly what you need no more no less uh, just like uh, bardic broadcast says um <laughs> but to get us out of the fanboying about hero quest zone we are here not to just talk about how fantastic hero quest is um but to get into the specific monster of the famir and and how we can do that is requires a little bit of context about hero quest because it the famir as a monster is idiosyncratic to the game of hero quest itself in a very specific way looking into this i was going to i was thinking i don't know that this monster exists in any other way it'll be a tiny subject boom i'll be in and out in 5 minutes it'll be the laziest episode i'll ever do Boy, <laughs> I was wrong. I was like half yeah. right. It is a very narrow cast monster, but because it is a Games Workshop creation, yeah, uh, as opposed to a Milton Bad Bradley creation, it also exists in the Warhammer verse. Uh, yeah. So let me explain um, kind of how that is. Uh, I'm going to take this from this section. From uh, talking about talking about Hero Quest from an article on Polygon.com that kind of is um, it's contextualizing the new version of Hero Quest that is coming out in 2021. So surprise, there was a successful a successful Kickstarter style um, fundraising. Uh, run that Hasbro does. They have like essentially an in-house Kickstarter mechanism where they can get everybody to pay for a product um, <laughs> ahead of time yeah. and, and destroy all of their possible loss. Uh, but at least they're using it for something good, which is a new version of Hero Quest in 2021, which is like uh, fantastic. But we'll get into the details of that. Um, so from that Polygon.com article by Charlie Hall, it says the original. Hero Quest was published by Milton Bradley, which Hasbro purchased in 1984. The archetypal dungeon crawler was produced in partnership with Games Workshop um, and utilized that company's art and miniatures. It was known for having dozens of highly detailed plastic miniatures as well as an assortment of furniture and other terrain pieces. The game had a number of expansion packs, some of which are highly sought after by collectors. As recently as September 10th, the Mage of the Mirror... Quest pack for Hero Quest sold on eBay for eight hundred and ten dollars. Um, <laughs> so you, the, the if you combine the quality and nostalgia that um, were created by Hero Quest and the rarity of some of the expansions and the expansions, uh, as I'm sure Gavin can uh, help edify us later, are not yeah. necessarily up to snuff in comparison to the original uh, box set because they're uh, like kind of an independent games workshop thing. Uh, yeah. Some of them are very profitable in terms of reselling them because there's there's such a finite amount of uh, canonical Hero Quest stuff that yeah. um, the the rare pieces of it can be like really valuable because now you, there's a bunch of a bunch of um, you know, a bunch of nerds with real jobs that are our age going like, man, I want that thing that I didn't get when I was 11. 
Yeah. So, um, HeroQuest, which was massively uh, successful in terms of the baddies that you fought. So your options originally were those four characters, the elf, the dwarf, the barbarian, and the wizard. All of them uh, ostensibly white men in, in their depiction in, in, the, uh, in the original game, 1989. <laughs> Go figure. Um they uh you you meandered through these various prescribed dungeons that were given to you in the quest book and you killed some very generic sword and sorcery baddies you had literally skeletons zombies orcs goblins mummies which was uh, you know mummies is a, is a specific flavor uh yeah. chaos warriors that were kind of a a, a a rebranding of a conan concept that was pulled in by games workshop in the warhammer verse um the gargoyle which was the <laughs> the big scary malicious uh baddie with a bizarre massive broke sword who could also wield magic and yeah. uh, but the the outlier was the Famir, which was a, a big green, ugly, nasty kind of trollish guy, who if you were a D and D person or somebody consuming other sword and sorcery genre material, would look at it and go, "What the fuck is that thing?" Because you yeah. everything else you had a context for, where you'd go, like, "Okay, Chaos Warrior is like a big, you know, he's like." He's, like, from Golden Axe. I get it. He's, like, a big, like, yeah. suit of armor with a secret evil dude in it, and he shoots magic. Got it. Okay. Orcs, zombies, goblins. Got it, got it, got it. But the Famir was just, like, an IP, <laughs> and we were like, what? what is that? And it, because, because of that, it was the one that stood out because it didn't have a natural through line from other media. So in looking into it... I'm going to be quoting from 1D4chan, which is surprisingly comprehensive in some of its coverage of these things. So basically, uh, third edition Warhammer, which is the, the, the company that shares its IP, and it was originally a Milton Bradley, Milton Bradley collaboration with Games Workshop, and Games, Games Workshop now is synonymous with a few games, but primarily they're the Warhammer people. I'm not a Warhammer yeah. person. It's no, too much. Not either. It's too much of. It, it's too. The Venn diagram, Venn diagram doesn't fit for me. It's just too much miniature nonsense and thousands of dollars of buying weird random miniatures to have yeah. like lawyerly arguments with other nerds. And the, it's, yeah. it's so much of the parts of it, parts of gaming that I don't like. It's fine yeah. if you're into it, but. Yeah, that's um, fine. <laughs> it's totally con contingent on elements that are just like not my favorite part. So I'm not yeah, a Warhammer I'm, person. I'm not a Warhammer person for another very specific asshole reason, and that's because I'm a BattleTech person. <laughs> so yes. take your take your Warhammer and yeah, yeah. So if if you <laughs> want to spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars on <laughs> miniatures that you're going to be forced to paint and then cajole other people into uh, interacting with, it'll be robots, not. Not yeah, not little yeah. men. Uh, well, I don't yeah. have to buy a new box every two two weeks, two months. Yeah, man. I mean, level of complexity is just like it's one of those intense meta buy-ins where you're like, who am I gonna? Who do I have that I can play this with? And how satisfying is it gonna be for this yeah. gigantic investment? But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. So the person in charge of Warhammer at the time. Uh, when third edition was becoming like hot, 
uh, was this guy named Brian Ansel, and he was looking to the future of what they were going to do with Warhammer. Um, and so he he wanted a new character, kind of like monster IP that would belong uh, specifically to Warhammer. And here I'm paraphrasing from 1D4chan, so just note it. And so <laughs> they wanted something that was specifically... Uh, indigenous, quote-unquote, to Warhammer. So he summoned two employees, uh, Graham Davis and Jess Goodwin, and told them he wanted pictures uh, pictures of a unique concept, something that would be to Warhammer what the brew are to RuneQuest. And I have to admit, RuneQuest is a little bit off of my radar in terms of uh, nerd knowledge, but the brew yeah. and RuneQuest, to make a long and short of it, are kind of like often... Depi- they're like... They're monstrous, cursed, quasi-human, like, part-animal, like, fey monster things that are the result of non-consensual curse magic. But these, like, often goatish, sometimes different other animal-ish things are like the 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 monstrous racial symbol of RuneQuest. So I'm sure my RuneQuest RuneQuest people are, are getting out their decorative katanas to 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 kill me um, from their collective basements right now because of how I destroyed <laughs> that description of their beloved game, but that's my understanding of it. So they wanted the brew of Warhammers. They needed something something to be kind of evil and interesting and not from another IP. The Femir are a combination of the Brew and Fomorians, specifically. And that's that's what 1D4chan says, that's a quote. So whatever, he, whatever his, I'm presuming his um, understanding of that is, if he's wrong, take it up with him. But that's what he says. So Gavin, what is a, what's a Fomorian? Because our, I bet our audience has no idea what the fuck that means. Ooh, have I got a lot to say about the Fomorians? Well, don't say it. Give me, give me the one paragraph version, <laughs> and don't include white. Yes, wolves. right. Fomorians um, are cursed mutants are based on real of, Gaelic folklore. Uh, a cursed, superhuman, <laughs> sometimes like demigod creatures from properly ancient Celtic Irish myth. Um, Oh yeah, yeah, I know. I, it's, one, it's one of those that I specifically have. I'll in the, bring the Fomorian one day. Don't worry. About Gavin it. would kill me. Category <laughs> um, would be doing the would doing the Fomori. but the, I they come up in this one because according to one D four brew combined with the Fomorians, that's what you get is the Famir, which to me is it's very interesting actually because it's a it's a it's a fascinating combination. Um, so sadly, in in the yeah. uh, in the Warhammerverse, they did not catch on. Uh, mostly because there was a fuck up between the there was a fuck up, there was a fuck up between the design concept and then the model that they sent in for the metal miniatures, where they ended up making a really big metal. Uh, model that ended up having like the hit points of a massive thing, but the cost of putting it out on the field uh, of a massive thing, but its its actual ability to deal damage or whatever, its worth was really low. So they hated it, and there was also this uh, narrative fluff problem where the description of it, if you didn't read, 
back into the catalog implied that the way that they reproduced was all rape-based, where they, they would just, like, rape human women and fairy women and women of various races. And, but that actually wasn't <laughs> the case, that it was kind of more of a symbolic, like, z- like a fairy version of the xenomorph thing where they would steal the essence of a particular creature and then create a new version that was like a hybrid. So either yeah. way, probably like a pretty fucked up uh, non-consensual vibe, but for, you know, for the 80s, um, for game for game makers in the 80s, not not as grotesque and monstrous as um, you know it could have been. So well, whatever whatever caveat, whatever valid caveat you want to give to that. But anyway, they didn't they didn't they weren't a hit. Um, and and probably I'm skipping over the essential information, which is how they look is big um, reptilian. Cyclopean in having like a big cue ball sized eye in the middle of their dome. Um, green skinned, like orc colored monsters with yeah. different kinds of massive reptilian tails. Uh, and depending, and uh, you know, uh, depending on. There was apparent so there's a cast system in the Famir. So when you're dealing with the Hero Quest Famir, that's just the warrior cast. So within the context of Hero Quest, that one Famir with the big axe that you get, that is from the uh, the third cast or the second cast. I forget which one. It's not that interesting. But you've got like the lowly the lowly ones that do all the work, the warriors that are the ones in Hero Quest with the like belly plate. Um, and the big club tail, and then there's another one that's like the uh, the ruling class, the aristocrats, and then there's an- another one that is all of the women, and all of the women are basically like witch queens, shamans, witches, and uh, specifically from another website that I'm pulling from, they say that uh, one out of a hundred. Um, Femir born is uh, is female. So this is from villains.fandom.com. It says under society, ninety nine Femir out of a hundred are male. Yeah. The only Femir <laughs> I've got I got ninety nine Femir, and they're all I've fucking ninety nine problems. And, and all of and all all of these <laughs> assholes want to play Xbox at the same time, and they're all male. And they're, <laughs> the only female from here are the Mirg, uh, <laughs> yeah. powerful spellcasters who are the matriarchs of the Famir tribes. There is only one Mirg per tribe. If she has a daughter, the daughter will leave to form her own tribe. The Mirg is aided by a cabal of <laughs> sorcerers known as Bale Fiends. The Fim are the warrior cast of the Femir society, but the majority of clan members are the lowly Shearls. So, uh, yeah, ingest all of that into your into your brain meats. Um, the point is, they have a caste system. They're matriarchal, which I find actually fairly interesting. Um <laughs> The, the 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 female leaders they have like gross matted greasy hair but apparently so they're all big weird freaky swampy lizardy people with giant tails you got a different tail depending on what caste systems you're in so it's not just like we're saying you're this and you're that they have a biological difference so you can tell the difference so at least you don't have to worry about trying to rise through the ranks you just are whatever you are based on whatever tail comes out if your clan of Famir 
um, lost its matriarch, what you would do is you would go on a death quest, is your whole tribe would, would basically do like what ants do when they go colony hopping to create a new, uh, to create a new ant colony, except without a goal of getting anything done except to cause as much harm against your enemies as possible. So you would all go like Viking nuclear mode and just <laughs> just rampage through the countryside and kill everything you felt like killing and it was it just it sounds like it's a really good plot device if you ask me like you just came across a bunch of Vermeer who were acting absolutely uh, insane but yeah. um, so you've got it from the top down you've got a, a tribal yeah. um, non-technology using but reasonably magically powerful race of um, kind of like pre-human uh, subhuman reptile proto people that are massive and sneaky and live inside of old ruined castles and, and piles of stone and like it's a it's actually an interesting um, racial background for for a for a metahuman monster in my opinion then there are only two monsters that are mechanically worse to deal with in the in the hero quest game which is the chaos warrior and the gargoyle which are both like an extremely elite level the Fremir, in contrast is like uh, yeah. kind of like slow moving but beefy it doesn't have any magic it's like a big dumb warrior that otherwise you would just say is like an ogre if you if you took if you yeah. took the name Fremir off of it and called it an ogre like I don't think any of us as kids would have been as kids would have been like shocked. We're just like, okay, it's a one-eyed ogre. Like whatever, um, fine. But because of Games yeah, Workshop wanting <laughs> their IP to be involved with uh, Hero Quest, they decided that it was a Famir. So it was this big, ugly reptile thing. The monsters in the original 1989 Hero Quest. The picture on the cards is kind of like okay, but the actual rendering of the plastic mini I think is where the Famir succeeds where it's a very dynamic mini um, as are nearly all of the minis in HeroQuest the thing is yeah. like you take any mini that I have from yeah. anything or anyone that any of my friends have and you're like just show me one that feels like it has a gravity and is not falling apart and is feels like it's communicating to you effectively the information that you need to know about this little tiny person that is that is populating your game, the Hero Quest minis are are far <laughs> and away better than almost any minis from anything. I don't care what it is. And personally, I, maybe it's because of Hero Quest. I don't know. I prefer the level of the cut, the non, the, I don't the 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 like super deep cut trend that is now where we are living in terms of mini production in 2021, I'm not a big fan of. It's meant to be to lend itself to dynamic shading and natural shadows and easier to be painted um, to kind of like dovetail inside of the hobby with people that like have a painting fetish. Yeah. And that's cool. But to me, the 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 level of complexity and rendering <laughs> of the hero quest minis is, the pinnacle, the platonic ideal of your minis should kind of be this shape. 
they won't break, they won't bend, they won't fall over, and the the confusion over what they are is never going to come up. Um, so, and the Femir is is a absolutely perfect depiction yeah. of that. Other than I would say that if you see like people that 3D print versions of it, they will replace the dumb, ungainly axe head on its giant axe with like a flail or something. I can get with that. Otherwise, it's kind of like, in my opinion, a perfect rendition of a big, ogreish, yeah. ugly thing that's going to smash you any second. Um, and that's why I find it compelling. And the the other aspect being, because I did not, yeah. I was not a Warhammerer, and I was like ten. I was I I found that the the mystery of bringing in this big goony monster was more compelling than an orc or a goblin or a mummy because my brain already had a whole uh, encyclopedia entry for what an yeah. orc or a mummy was. I had absolutely a, a tabula rasa for what the fuck a Thamir was. Um, so it, it lent to a an aura of mystery and strangeness that makes it more interesting than, than an orc or a mummy. Um, which is obviously why I chose it for this category. And when I chose it for this week, I did not know I did not yeah. know about the Games Workshop Warhammer rabbit hole I was going to fall down um, related to this dumb little mini that I thought was just a fucked up ogre. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's huge. Yeah, I knew about all that stuff because I wanted to find out what the hell it was. And, like, to, to go back to um, when I first saw it, like, the mystery and everything, it was no mystery to me. First of all, because I was 11 and I knew how the world worked. And I just got into, yeah, I just got into something else. And it's obvious that that is a xenomorph. There's no way that it's not an alien from aliens. And yeah. <laughs> that mystery solved. Yeah, there is something about the um, um, stubby penis oblong yeah. head shape. Um, that I think is incidental. I don't. I don't think that they meant that. I. But yeah. it, 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 because of its bearing and its kind of like alien hunched overness, for lack of a better phrase, and the weird oblong, shiny bald head, uh, combined with the when it's not painted like easy to ignore cyclopean eye, yeah. it is. It's very easy to be like not a lizard xenomorph. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and that alienness, I think, is like what puts it in a separate category where it's not it's not goblinoid. You're not like this is not it's not the big brother of the orc and the goblin. It's just yeah. something else that's a terrible green skin monster that happens to be in this in this like idiosyncratic version. Yeah, I I always I did have a level of confusion because it was. Um, it was tougher than goblins and orcs, but it was green. And you had green, uh -huh. white, and gray. And gray was yeah. obviously tough and unbeatable. Green was <laughs> yes. e uh, obviously, like, beatable, and white was undead. And right. <laughs> and for anybody that's lost at what we're talking about, we're talking about the plastic molding of the original minis. Yeah. So in HeroQuest, if you're, not, if you're driving and not Googling these images right now, your heroes <laughs> were this kind of like 70s red burgundy color. Yeah, they were and burgundy. And then all, the baddies were in three different uh, categorical casts. 
and they specifically denoted which category they were in. The goblinoidy yeah. ones were all this like dark forest green. That was the the goblins, the orcs, and the famir. Yeah. The undead ones were all white, and the like. This guy's definitely going to kill you. Or like an ashy gray color. Yeah. Um. And so it was, like, lumped in with the goblinoids, but you were like, this ain't no goblinoid. This is some kind of terrible, like, unknown yeah. alien thing I've never seen before. Yeah. Don't try to fool me. I ain't no, I don't know nothing about no Vermeer. Explain to me what this is. This is something yeah. else. Um, so uh, now that we've kind of covered um, where they live in HeroQuest, before I get off, like, forever, I want to... I wanna, talk about where we are with Hero Quest because Gavin are you aware that Hero Quest is having a, a, a reset uh, this year? Uh, no, I heard that like 3 years ago, but I didn't I had no idea what okay, was happening. Okay, so I no idea what's happening. This new like Kickstarter style uh, new box version in 2021. So presumably at the end of this year there's going to be a new Hero Quest that is quote unquote true to form to yeah. uh, the original Hero Quest, and what we're going to do is share my screen, and we can just watch the uh, we can just watch the trailer. In fact, okay. Oh, cool. 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 Female orcs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Female goblins. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, a merman instead of yep. a femir. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that. Yep. We gotta we gotta address that. Mm-hmm. It's a damn merman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hold up now. Okay, it's over. What who is this merman? Well, I don't. I can't tell you who their mer- merman is. Okay, so let me <laughs> let me let me get it from the Polygon article. So anyway, Haslab, uh, which is Hasbro's like crowdfunding platform, has has gone. They have made all their money. It's boom. It's ready to go. There will no doubt be a new Hero Quest sometime in 2021. Late 2021 <laughs> is what they say, and um, it's going to feature. Uh, mostly true to form stuff. Uh, the, if you notice that the, uh, I don't know if you can tell from the trailer, but they, it's not the original uh, artwork on the cover by because the artwork on the cover kicks ass. Les Edwards yeah. is the guy who did the original cover yeah. on the front with the kind of like the barbarian, the barbarian swinging the sword like laterally out to the side. It's the yeah. exact same image but rendered by someone else without without the little kind of Frank Frazetta meat quality to it in my opinion, which I think yeah. is sad. In in my opinion, all of the graphics are okay, but they're so 2021. They don't have this old head like grounded sword and sorcery vibe, they have much more of this like polygonish 3D rendered, yeah, uh, deep cut vibe, and you know that might some people might not care. I really, I don't think it's nostalgia. I really prefer the the 70s and 80s painting. Uh, flat rendering of all of these things on the cards and and the material. But before I get too far into that, um, again, from the Polygon update, which was in September of 2020, 
it says, HeroQuest still comes with the same four hero characters, the barbarian, dwarf, elf, and wizard. But this new version swaps the canonical gender of the elf character. So your standard elf is now a lady elf. And pre-ordered copies will come with alternate sculpts, including a male elf and female versions of the other three characters. Well, Additionally, yeah. the base game includes female sculpts for some of its monsters, as you noticed while you were watching it, su yep. such as orcs and goblins. Um, on top of that, elements of the lore also appear to have been altered, likely to clearly separate this version from Hasbo ha Hasbos. Hasbro's <laughs> uh, past <laughs> collaboration with Games Workshop Chaos Magic, for instance, has been renamed Dread Magic, and the original <laughs> game's Famir, a race of one-eyed monsters borrowed from the Warhammer fantasy universe, has been yeah. changed to more closely resemble a bipedal fish creature, and these changes can be seen in the trailer. Okay, so end yeah. quote. To say that it has been changed to more closely resemble a bipedal fish creature is not anything to do with it. It's they've, they've yanked the Femir out and replaced it with an angry fish man. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Am I anti-angry anti fish man? No. But I am pro-Femir. So yeah. the, it, yeah. feels, it feels... It feels like a bait and fish to me. Um... <laughs> And uh, I, I'm pro Famir. I'm anti Fishman. If you wanted to add a Fishman to the game, okay, fine. It's yeah. confusing, even without it being swapped out uh, by the other confusing character. But whatever, Fishman. Yeah. Um, it's it's okay. But who's afraid of a big Fishman? Like, I'm not. I mean, and, you know, <laughs> people that hate fish, but like, well, that's a that's a two percenter right there. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Hashtag kill the fish man. This is an abomination. Hashtag bring back the Famir. But yeah, you know it's not it's not going to happen because it's a <laughs> it's a it's a different company. It's a different IP, and so they're you know they're, it's it would never happen. But I, I dislike the I dislike the the fish man. I love the Famir. No, I'm anti <laughs> um, this fish man. I, I this yeah. this is disappointing me. But my. My my non-Fishman related observations are that it looks like a compelling version where the actual spine and skeleton of HeroQuest is still intact. The mechanical system, because the dice basically have been unchanged other than what, in my opinion, were superior wooden dice, have been yeah. replaced with uh, plastic dice. I, as a person who has played with wooden dice, I fucking love wooden dice. They're quiet. Yeah. They're lightweight. Um, and they're tough. I mean, they, they get scars on them, unlike uh, plastic dice or metal dice do. But yeah. I, I love wooden dice. I think they're fantastic. Um, so this the spine and the skeleton of HeroQuest appears to be intact. Um, if you're a person that's consuming this new version, uh, I'm totally pro there being not is being a like not all men version. You know, where the yeah, both heroes sure. and villains are ladies. That's, that's great. That's fine. That's fun. Dragon Strike had a female elf and or a female thief, and yeah, I thought that was thief. awesome. Yeah. And I was like, check yeah. this out. You could get you get a, a lady in your party, and that's yeah. something that so, we need to so, do. But if you're buying the expanded version, that it's got you know double gender versions of all of the heroes. That's badass. Uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Options are great. But aesthetically, um, I'm. I feel like the original uh, painting illustration art is a lot superior. Um, if you look at the 
the furniture, it looks like we've got like um, plastic molded furniture as opposed to the uh, hellish combination of of cardboard uh, push out and plastic yeah. piece stuff that that we had. Um, the benefits of that, I think, are you know it's not going to degrade, but also you don't have the color rendering that you got on the the cardboard originally. Yeah. Um, there are just details that are not going to be there. I, it seems to be leaning into the you're going to want to paint this. Yeah. I, I'm I'm idiosyncratic as I've described to you, where I don't like painting the minis. I don't yeah. like the way painting mini painted minis look. I don't like the activity itself, which is ironic because personally I'm like an artistic painter. I, <laughs> just, I, I like I like seeing the monochrome details of the of the figure as it was created originally. Um, yeah. the, I like the virgin plastic. I'm strange. I don't, it's something about my brain. Um, but these are obviously uh, deep cut style 3D rendered uh, minis, and it's you know it's something. And most people are gonna like it. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in the two percent where people are like why 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 you don't you know. But I like I like the ones that I have for my 1989, and I will not be able to be convinced that that anything is better. But they look cool. They definitely look cool. Um, and it looks like all of the essential mechanics, gameplay, adventure parts of the game are intact. So I'm glad it exists. It's badass. Um, I hope it, it pulls another generation of kids into playing the game and augments the weird old heads like us's experience of having, you know, maybe it can have a renaissance. I, uh, I, I, I'm probably going to buy this... Um, dumb new hero quest. Just if anything, yeah. to have to like um, have weird minis and lady minis and more pieces to throw into my like random cases where I'm like, let's convince people to play hero quest, even though we're all uh, like 40 years old. Um, but I think it's good that it's coming out. I think it's awesome. I think the Famir yeah. rules and the Fishman sucks. Yeah. Um, but what else occurs to you, Gavin, about um, the Famir or Hero about Quest the, as a larger topic? The Either Famir. Um, well, you touched on how it was similar to the Fomori. That um, that was something I came across uh, much later after the initial Hero Quest boom of 1993. Yeah. That I did think that the Famir was probably going to be a Famori, but like something happened, and I'm glad you found out what the story mm. to that was, um, because it pretty much looks like what a Famori is—like a big mutant cursed thing that's angry, has an axe, and you know mm. has enough to has enough like industry and civilization to have armor and an axe, but yeah. is also bestial enough to be a wandering crazy thing in a dungeon. Yeah. So the one of the uh, one of the websites that I've already um, attributed described that, and this must be from Warhammer lore. I'm assuming is that the the cast, the ones that are in Hero Quest, the warrior cast, yeah, would have um, duels and battles to determine if you earned a belly plate. Yeah. So, so it's see to me, I immediately imagine a system where 
their ability to do smithing and metallurgy is such an outlier that it's like an incredibly refined thing. Yeah. Or maybe they're even stealing metal from other races and then just hewing it into a new shape. I mean, maybe yeah. it's a scavenger thing, or maybe they can only create it through magic, because they do have subterfuge and and um, complex evil magic. I mean, they're not great sorcerers, but they can do things to... Uh, at least based off of what is I've seen is do they can they can hide themselves they can um, use mist for stealthing they can cause illusions they can do kind of like grotesque swamp things yeah they um, have magic, with magic. so uh, to me it seems like they're not creating a, a great industrial civilization but they're, they're they've got enough metal whether they're stealing it or creating it with magic or they have this like tiny, like smithing industry, it's not it's not central to their being. So that yeah. I think that's like the idea of making the belly plates a big fat thing. It reflects that to them, it's a scarce resource in addition to being like a symbolic coming of age symbol and you know, like a symbol of being a warrior. Um, and that is hashtag taking. Uh, miniatures way too seriously with yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they just it just implies to me a really interesting monster. Yeah, um, and I love the monsters, and this is like the this is like the the Morlock, not the Morlock. This is like the Grimlock in that they give you a little bit to work with, but the the little bit that they give you to work with implies enough of a society and enough of a civilization yeah. you're like that's really interesting and the the big blank space like what they tell you in the dungeon worlds book which is to you know make maps but leave blanks is like yeah. you've got you've got a framework you've got a skeleton but all, you can shape all of that meat of what's actually there completely to your own desires and to yeah. a, a dungeon master or a keeper or any kind of game runner that to me is the place where I go like, oh, that's I want to use that because canonically there's not a lot there, and there not being a lot there is actually a feature rather than a flaw. Yeah. Where the the no player, not even Warhammer nerds are going to be able to lawyer me into the death about what is and is not going on with the Femir. Yeah. I see that as a feature rather than a flaw because very quickly we're going to get into a realm where everybody knows everything about every game monster yeah. and that eliminates to me possibly my favorite thing about gaming which is surprise uh, and fear. Yeah. And that's what I like about the Femir is because it's not totally filled in. It doesn't have 75 books about it. It's got a little bit of, of surprise involved. Um, all right. Is there anything I didn't cover? Any? You have any thoughts? Uh, no, it doesn't have a magic card. Um, its game rules are for Warhammer. Mm. And um, I, there is no way that a Femir is in any movies. No, I can <laughs> say, however, because thank you for reminding me. Yeah. Um, that uh, in video games, it is in, t in Total Warhammer. The Famir appears as units in the Norska faction. No. That was just a series of uh, words that didn't mean anything to me. And then um, <laughs> also in video games, they appear as a random enemy in the video games adaption of Hero Quest and Warhammer Quest. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have not. 
I am not personally familiar with a Hero Quest game. I'm definitely not familiar with a Warhammer Quest game. So if anybody can wants to throw us some like images of sprites from those, we will we will shout you out on the show um, <laughs> of how those look, and if you ha particularly if you have any contextualizing information about them from Hero Quest and Warhammer Quest the video games, um, we will we will, yeah. Oops, all monsters at gmail.com. We will shout you out if you have anything productive to say about those those video game versions. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I kind of one of the things I like about it is it's failed, so it just doesn't pop up a lot of places. Yeah. But it's also not boring or unfleshed out. There's there's definitely some there's some monster on that monster. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's some monster on that monster. There's I think monster on that gonna, monster. I think it's going to become a, a slogan for the show accidentally. But um, yeah, that's the that's the Famir. It's um, a weird little guy that was introduced by Games Workshop, and uh, to me, up until uh, this week, had absolutely no other context for it. I'm not a Warhammer. <laughs> I'm just a hero quester. Um, sad that he's gotten replaced by the Fishman. Yeah. But uh, you know what can you do? It's pandemic's hard on everybody. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now that we've escaped our first menace, dear readers, we invite you into the apothecary, that den of rare and obscure balms, salves, powders, and oils derived from the exotic serpents, clattering critters, and acrid arachnids, where we do our most shadowy machinations. Our friend Jeremy keeps dying in dark putrid dungeons, one player character after the next, like moths to the flame, whether it's crushed by a cyclops, doesn't get his mage armor up in time, or is incinerated by his own divine light, Jeremy finds a way for his piss wizard to perish in the first round of combat. So here we are to ask you to open your coin purses, help pitch in just a bit to defray the massive cost of all these dang healing potions we need to keep Jeremy crawling through the dungeons. If you want to support the show on an ongoing basis, you can check us out at patreon.com slash oopsallmonsters, that's oops with two O's, or you can make a one-time contribution to the Apothecary's Health Potions for Jeremy Fund, which at most levels will get you a shout-out at the top of the show if you're into that. And if you're not, we can give you a sweet and scary pseudonym to keep your dark business under wraps. So, you can toss a coin to us at paypal.me slash oopsallmonsters. Again, that's paypal.me slash oopsallmonsters. And in every case, oops is with two O's and no punctuation, just like Tiamat intended. Hi there. My name is Douglas Rassensberger, and I'm a CEO and founder of Douglas's Cutlasses. Have you ever found yourself in this situation? You've just gotten home from a long day of spurring growth at your small but thriving business. You're just trying to slice some quality deli meats and cheeses for a relaxing snack, and suddenly there's a mysterious intruder rummaging through your garbage outside. What's a domestic disruptor to do when you get in a pickle like this? Pull out your handy-dandy, short-handled, half-guarded naval sword, that's what. Here at Douglas's Colors, we've got every possible colors for every conceivable scenario. Are you an aspiring or current CEO of a Fortune 500 company? I've got a colors for that. A middle school teacher struggling to maintain discipline in the classroom? I've got a colors for that. 
Looking to add a little flair to drab dinner parties? I've got a cutlass for that. Some people say to me, but Douglas, I'm not a pirate, privateer, or sailor. What do I need with a battle-quality 27-inch half-guard naval sword? I'm so glad you asked. Here at Douglas's Cutlasses, our research shows that the vast majority of conflicts, both business and personal, can be positively affected by the introduction of a modest, well-crafted naval sword. So let's get swashbuckling. So, no matter what's your problem, an easy-to-wield Ironforge Cutlass is probably the solution. So once again, I'm Douglas Raffensperger of Douglas's Cutlasses. Come get stabbed with me. Please go to paypal.me slash oopsallbonsters and make a payment there. Again, that is paypal.me slash oopsallbonsters. Welcome back to Oops All Monsters. So, imagine that you're the only Wasteland Wanderer that the Walnut Street Bridge Settlement trusts to give missions to all the time. And so the latest catastrophe to plague the settlers in an outbreak of an engineered sickness um, that you found out through hacking ancient computers, there is a cure for it. Uh, but it lies in the vaulted basement of the CDC building by Chestnut Ridge. Okay. And they say that the CDC building was taken over by the military before the bombs dropped. And there's a bunch of weapons there, so you got to get those too. But also, they did genetic experiments based on DNA research and something about wolverines and bears. You don't quite remember because it was a long time ago when you hacked these computers. So... You're walking through the CDC building, um, and you grab your backpack full of ropes and climbing, climbing carabineer clips so that you can descend the elevator shaft. And after some trouble, you make it to the bottom, but in doing so, you burned your last flare. And then sneaking through the corridors, you smell something biologic, and it has a weird reek to it, a sharp smell that you recognize. It's lizard poop, but like a lot of it. And it's mixed in with the stench of an aging carcass. Um, adjusting the imaging HUD on your pit boy, the VAT system suddenly alerts that there's something behind you, but it's too late. This stealthy gargantuan has grabbed you in its sharpened talon grasp, and you struggle to tap X for this quick time grapple. Okay, is this uh, <laughs> is this a fall? Is this a fallout? Am I falling? It out? is a fallout. Hey, look at me knowing about the modern. Pop culture world. <laughs> I, 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 I knew a fallout. Yeah. And uh, it drops you, shielding its ears from the klaxon alarm, and this human kangaroo lizard must hate high sonic frequencies. And you keep that in mind as you duck into a room. It's the beginning of a labyrinth, but now your exit is blocked by the dreaded death claw. The, is, that, is that what it is? The death claw? The death claw. Do, yeah, you cannot overestimate the uh, the how little I know about um, uh, how little I know about Fallout. So, uh oh, <laughs> um, no fucking idea if you're you, so yeah. Are we talking about a mutant bunny? Uh, it's a mixture of animals. Um, okay, <laughs> D- don't let me stop. If you're still going, keep going. Uh, no, that's the end of the story. But the death claw is a term. This is from the wiki. Is a term. Referring to genetically engineered creatures developed by the United States military to replace humans during close combat search and destroy missions. 
the Jackson's chameleon was used as the basis. Uh, they escaped into the wild after the aftermath of the Great War and over the next few decades, colonizing much of the few former United States, becoming apex predators in many of the new post-war ecosystems. Okay, They're, okay, okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me slow you down, because uh, for let's for the edification of our non-Fallout boys in this uh, yeah. in in our in our readership. Can you explain to me the basic premise of Fallout, right? Because I think yes. I know it, but I bet other people don't. Uh, Fallout is a video game that started with a uh, 1998 release of a top-down turn-based tactical RPG. Um, wow, I was surprised is... you had that information locked and loaded. That was actually and kind it... of impressive. Oh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm a Fallout person. Um the premise of it is that it's in an alternate timeline where the Cold War never ended, microchip technology was never invented, um, and eventually in 2000, I think 77, uh, America went to war with China in a nuclear devastation. In a matter of 10 minutes, everything was destroyed. Two hours. Ooh. A matter of two hours, the world was destroyed, and then 200 years later, you come out, your character comes out of a vault, which is a big thing in Fallout. Um, a lot of people yes. went into vaults because they knew that nuclear war was coming. There was a big nuclear war uh, culture in, during the last two decades of, of civilization, and in the middle of this culture is the vaults. And so right. you play a character coming out of a vault. You've never seen the outside. Nobody knows what the outside world is. They assume all types of things that are mostly correct, like there's radiation everywhere. Uh, the people that have survived outside are vicious and tribal. They're barbaric. Um, there's mutants everywhere, uh, be they ghouls or super mutants or giant scorpions or, in some cases... Uh, hyper-evolved tapeworms. Oh, so, uh, <laughs> alright. Yeah. And, uh, one of the biggest and scariest thing, because it's not really an end boss, because it's an open-world thing, you can go anywhere, anytime. Right, and right, right. And there's a chance in the first ten hours that you play this that you'll come across the Deathclaw Nest, which is, um, pretty much impossible to navigate your way through unless you spend, like, three years playing Fallout. <laughs> right. And um, the Death Claws are this giant, unbeatable uh, lizard, uh, I guess, kangaroo, monkey type thing that has gigantic hands with gigantic, like, sword-length claws on each finger. Um, it's got heightened senses. It's smart, because they used a uh, forced evolutionary virus to increase intelligence. Uh, whenever, whenever that specific virus is applied to uh, humans, however, there, it backfires and decreases their intelligence. But it worked for the uh, Deathclaw. It made it smarter. Um, and it's incredibly fast. It can hide. It has some chameleon powers. Some Deathclaws can like change their color like chameleons it's uh okay yeah it's so i'm see i'm seeing this thing 
And I'm trying to conjure how I would describe it if I had no idea, if I had no previous context. And it's kind of yeah. like, uh, kind of like a cross between like a minotaur and a dinosaur. Yeah, it's, that's it's like, what it is. It's like great, it's great big. It's like it's standing on two legs, but it's got like backwards, like like chicken legs, or you know, uh, um, yeah, big. It's well, it's also kind of like maybe cross between like a raptor and a goat. I mean, it's a it's a it is a weird, freaky hybrid. And also seeing different versions. Some of them have big fuck off horns. Yeah, they have big. And some don't. Big kind of like troll horns, di- digitigrade legs uh, that have big feet and talons on it. It's uh, uh, they have kind of like soulless white eyes, but mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. um, some of them are blind. <laughs> and it looks about like I don't know, fifteen or twenty feet tall. They're big, big, angry. Yeah, players. that that varies from game to game. Uh, in okay, the first okay. game, they were about. 12 feet tall uh some of them are 20 feet tall and some of them are like six feet tall it's depending on like how old they are and which mutation variant it is and what Mm -hmm. and what the radiation has done to it also so not only is it a mutant to begin with some of them are affected by radiation to mutate further so within the play of the game, is this like a low-level baddie, or is this more like... This um, is... Well, they put it in there to be an unbeatable thing, pretty much. Like, uh, if you find the Deathclaw Nest, you're supposed to kind of sneak around them to find oh. whatever you're looking for. And um, if you fight them, then you better have, like, a rocket launcher and a minigun, because there's no real way to damage them or... Get, because they put they pump out as much damage as you can give to them, but you are not going to have as many hit points as them at all. Right. Okay. And like ever in the game, because they level with you. And um, mm. the entire concept was based on the Terrisk. Right. You say Terrisk? Or Terrisk? Yeah. What, what do you say? I say Terrasque. Terrasque. You say Terrisk. I say Terrasque. I that's what that's another one I don't know you know because like it un, unlike in the modern era where the modern era where <laughs> everybody's consuming things on these things on YouTube's on their YouTube's and their TikToks is like we read them all in books yeah so you basically didn't hear anybody else say it unless they were in your gaming group you didn't hear anybody say Tarask or Tarask or you know what I mean yeah it was just something you read over and over again so I don't I don't friggin know I mean to me it sounds like Tarask yeah I don't I can't say that I've heard it in a game like I haven't heard Brendan Lee Mulligan pronounce it yeah I've never heard anybody say Tarask yeah, so I don't know if it's Tarask or whether it's Tarask or whatever the hell it is. But anyway, the the yeah, they it it, it, it I get how it looks like the Tarask, um, which for those of us who are, for those for the non-indoctrinated is the um, kind of ultimate big scary monster of Dungeons and Dragons. It's it's yeah. It's on a different level than a dragon because it is the one monster uh, that is both a monster, but also it, there is only one of it. 
Yeah. Um, it's kind of it it it's li- it lives in a in a legendary category, and in my opinion, if your game is about killing the Tarrasque, your dungeon master dungeon master is a douchebag. Yeah. Which probably which probably means I just alienated about um, four dungeon masters given our our numbers that we're probably going to have. Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> Because it, it to me, I think that the the Tarrasque lives in a like a legendary conceptual space yeah. that the game should have, and in my opinion, like actually giving it stats is counterintuitive to the point of the creature existing. Yeah, you know, it's like you don't give the nothing stats in the Neverending Story. Like it just yeah, it, it's a it's a phenomenon. It's a rumor. It's part of the. Cosmos yeah, of the reality of the game. That's what I was and, gonna talk about with the Death Claw because that happened right, in the we'll Death Claw too. Like, okay. um, the Death Claw was originally supposed to be something that um, is scary. And like, if you want to try to kill the Death Claw, then go ahead. It's possible, and like, uh, it'll take probably finding all of the companions in the game to help you, and it'll take finding the best weapons to get it done. Um, and it's like, like I said, it's entirely possible, but it's not really supposed to happen. Whenever you find it, you're supposed to just sneak, sneak past it right. and get away. And well, um, I, I appreciate that. In, yeah. In, in any kind of gaming, I think, and, and as I've already mentioned it, even in this episode, is uh, fear and surprise. I think are some of the the best ingredients for any kind of gaming video or, yeah. or it, tabletop it, it, or anything yeah whenever else. whenever you imagine something scary you you put yourself in the picture where like you're looking around something dark you see something big something and, something and, that you can yeah, relate yeah, to yeah, personally yeah. but in fallout it's all top down you can see everything right. and it's and it's still scary because it's this weird thing you haven't seen in the game before and it's big and it's kind of just standing there, and it's like it's it's idle animation is just kind of uh, nudging its arm a little bit and looking around and like snorting. Right. And well, <laughs> whether it, regardless of, of which what kind of gaming you're in, whether you're in paper gaming on tabletops or whether you're Xboxing or whatever you're doing, I think if you can get if you can stop the 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 ant brain like murder hobo yeah pattern yeah and and hit the and hit the player with something that that causes them to have to say like well fuck i have to <laughs> I, I have to break my pattern and deal with this in a more subtle or intelligent way yeah i think you're succeeding on on a couple of levels in what you're doing with your game interaction and so if you ha- if you have to come up with a design that is something that just immediately implies that it is bigger or nastier or stranger or whatever or then you can just hit it as hard as you can and it'll go away if if it's if something is is bad enough to require you to to think more uh, think more dynamically to deal with it i think that's a, a successful um, successful design, gaming design. Yeah, the so, Death Claw definitely did that in the in the first one. And, uh, I'm not too sure about its appearance in the second one. I've only played through that one uh, once, <laughs> but uh, I know it's in it. 
And is um, it in? I mean, how many fall arts are fall arts? <laughs> are we into like fall art? Are we into like fall art six by now? Well, no, there are seventy six of them. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> And the the seventy the seventy six one created by John Denver. <laughs> no, there's um oh, there's a bunch of there's Fallout One, Fallout Two, Fallout Tactics, Fallout Brotherhood of Steel, Fallout Van Buren Project, which is like a fan thing that they keep going. Um, it's about the presidents. Right? Yeah, Fall <laughs> Fallout Three, <laughs> which was the big like resurgence Fallout. And then after that, Fallout New Vegas, which uh, the original Fallout game guys got a hold of it. And then after uh. f- after Fallout New Vegas, they had um, Fallout. F- well, they had <laughs> they had um, Fallout Shelter, which was like a mobile game. Right. And that was a little bit dis- you know like disappointing. But what it it was a tie in to um, Fallout Four. Which okay. is the big one right now because Fallout seventy six kind of failed because they made it multiplayer. We can talk about that another time and probably yeah, not on gotta, the podcast. Yeah, we've got to sequester uh, <laughs> yeah. Fallout seventy six into its own whole fucking department because yeah. otherwise, otherwise, all of our brains will explode like we're in a chronicle yeah, movie. And because we can, everybody's we opinions right will now. just gnaw away at what I'm talking about, which is the death. Call. Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, <clears throat> by the time it got to Fallout 4, the Deathclaw was just kind of a tough monster. Like, it, it was no yeah, longer yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing that, that stopped you and took you out of the game and made you realize, like, hey, hold on, I gotta think about this. Like, um, whenever you see Deathclaws, it's certainly still invigorating, because you still have to, it's still a challenge. Like, you have to think about what you're doing and everything, but it's a way more common encounter. Like, uh, here is, here's the tough damn monster that right now I should either, like, fight or flight still has, like, a, a casual thinking. Like, should I fight or flight? Instead of, holy shit, I should fight. Right. (laughs) And, um, that's okay, because you... That's going to happen eventually. Like, the the decay of surprise is... You know, t- 20 years ago, you had this thing, and now... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's still around. It's still going to be tough, but it's it's entirely possible to beat it. And, in fact, in Fallout 4, it's the first big monster that you fight. So- <laughs> yeah. Coincidentally, that's also the name of Nick Cave's new, uh, new band, The Decay of Surprise. <laughs> is it? No. No. <laughs> no, I'm riffing I'm riffing bits, yo. <laughs> you believe it? <laughs> fuck it, fuck. I considered it for a second. Leave me alone. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like something though, right? The decay of surprise. Yeah, that's why you got me for a second. Well you you said it. <laughs> it's your phrase. Anyway. So, it came from military experiments uh, to try and replace (laughs) humans in war. And um, it was kind of a failure or success. Nobody knows because the world got nuked. But yeah, in the original Fallout, you had to hack computer terminals to try to piece together what they were. And a lot of of the motivation for that was to find out how to beat them. 
And okay. um, here's the fun thing. Uh, it, it won't tell you how. <laughs> okay. Because, you know, you, you assume that in this game, whenever you hack computer terminals, it usually gives you clues or pieces of relevant information on how to progress in the game. And everything about Death Claws is just lore. <laughs> and mm -hmm. none of it clues you in on, like, how to fight them or... Or even even get past them easier, which I think is great. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, all right. Okay. According to Fallout. Ooh, oh, he's a nasty boy. Um. According to <laughs> Fallout.fandom.com. Yes, there are. Uh, there are death claws in Fallout 76, or more accurately, the first line reads, death claws are creatures found in Appalachia. And I'm like, yeah. well, okay. Um, and I'm curious what in this, if I click on Appalachia, which is hyperlinked in this, I'm wondering if, oh, no, but still within fallout.fandom.com. Yeah. Appalachia. Appalachia, also known as the Appalachian Territories, the Appalachia Territory or Appalachian Territory, as well as the Territory of Appalachia. Appalachia. Is the given... I swear I didn't add any of those. Yeah. Is the given... Is the name given to a region encompassing the Appalachian Mountains? Okay, hold your horses. Itself encompassing the entire territory of the state of West Virginia. Uh, well, you just said a whole bunch of something right there. The region serves as the game world of Fallout 76, spared from most of the destruction and the carnage of the Great War due to its relative isolation and lack of strategic targets. So much of the surviving human population nonetheless perished over the following... Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So yeah, there are, there are death claws in Fallout 76 here in... West by Gerd, Virginia. Of course and there are. I there's a bunch of them. There's the Death Claw. Yeah. The Alpha Death Claw. The yeah. Death Claw Matriarch. Savage. Albino. Chameleon. Mythic. Glowing. Scorched. And Prime. Yeah. So, uh, I guess I got all of my DJ names sorted out for the next 40 years. Cool. There's a Scorched Death Claw? I have not uh, played 76 enough. Huh? Scorched Deathclaws have been affected by the Scorched Plague. Each regular Deathclaw variant has a corresponding Scorched Death Scorched variant with the same stats, abilities, and items. Okay, so I guess it's it's like a skinning. I yeah, it's the Scorched are uh, disease further diseased zombie things that. Because of the scorched. Plague. Because what's of the, the scorched. Scor what's beast? the scorched yeah. plague? I'm clicking on it right now, but it's, yeah. is 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 that a thing that's specific to 76? Or yeah, is that that's like... specifically a 76 thing. Okay, so um, the scorch the scorched plague is a devastating mutagenic infection that ravaged Appalachia between 2085 and 2103, wiping out nearly all human life in the region, save for those sheltered within Fallout 76. What is different about Death Claws than the other Fallout monstroids and mutants and things? Um, well, eventually in Fallout 4, nothing. But in Fallout 1, 2, and 3, they were, like I said, they were a take-you-out-of-what-you're-doing moment type monster to, to pretty much secure in your judgment to run away from it. 
Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Also, uh, Fallout New Vegas did this interesting thing where it pretty much straight up challenges you to like come and kill all these death claws because they're here and if you play video games and you understand like the the language of video games then you know that these guys are here as something to come and take on because right. <laughs> and and it's a whole nest of them there's about 20 to 40 of them and it, it's right at the start of the game if you go immediately north in new vegas then you're gonna die and right. <laughs> and that was always fun. To, it's something to come back to. And a bunch of people claim like I can do it. I can get all the way through it. Um which which is true. I've done it. Actually gone immediately north, but only with expansion packs because you get weapons at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um but like the vanilla game of New Vegas, there's no way that that you can get through all the death claws without like saving every 5 minutes. So the way that the sprite looks, the way that the character looks, is it, it, it's like it's terrifying in the way that it looks, and that accurately represents that it should be taken seriously as something that can. It's, yeah. it's not just another. It's not just another baddie that can be hosed down. Like it's going to be a real challenge. Yeah, that's that's another. I, that's a thing that we might talk about often is how scary that is. If it's something in the prime physical world, is is that scarier, scarier or it less doesn't, scary? It doesn't require um, like hell or the, yeah. the. It doesn't require the planes of like. It, yeah. It's not a. It's not a fairy. It's not a demon. Yeah. It's just something that could be created given the actual ingredients that we have on the prime material plane. Yeah. Like it's 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 a genetic nightmare monster and. The idea of a genetic nightmare monster is a thing that could plausibly exist in the human world. Yeah. As opposed to, like, most of the things that we're talking about in the scope of this show. Yeah. Like, genetic nightmare monsters may eventually be created. Um, yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> like, like other than Alex Jones, like, some real genetic nightmare monsters. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, something whose legs bend back, like in that movie with Jodie Foster. Yeah. <laughs> Like basically, if if Alex Jones had you know like uh, like dinosaur legs, like something really scary like that. <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, something that isn't magic. Yeah. Um. But other than it being like an end boss type thing in an open world RPG, it's also got its own magic card. But it's of hmm. it's a Fallout magic card. It's the Deathclaw. It's a red creature. It takes two red mana, two colorless. It has haste, first strike, and provoke. It's 4-3. And I don't think that should be the magic card at all. Yeah, I'm looking at this... Uh, I'm looking at this, uh, this... This, I have to say that this um, image sucks. If yeah, it does. <laughs> I really don't like that illustration. I'm sorry to throw shade on whoever this is, but also you've not signed the card for the illustrator, so I almost don't feel bad. But yeah, yeah. I'm looking at it. It's a it's a creature dash death claw. Yeah, and it's, it's a, a four, red three, creature, which rubs me creature. the wrong way. And that's not even the official red border, I don't think. No. Anyway, I don't know if this is real or not. But it's I'm probably at it. not real. It's, it's, it's like two red, two colorless. Yeah, it's a um, custom set created for Fallout cards. So yeah, I think this is a, a novelty card image, but oh, it certainly is. Yeah, 
But um, Rawr, the way also. I would make a Deathclaw uh, magic card is I would make it an artifact creature because it's genetically engineered. Mm. And I would do one green, one red, and one black mana and eight colorless. I would make it 6-4 with first strike, and I would also give it this provoke ability. Um, and it, I'd give it one generic mana cost to have it have flanking. And uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, and that would be a better card. That would make more sense because it wouldn't tie it to a specific mana color because they're not monst- They're not like uh, what do you call them? Creatures like. Yeah, right. They're genetically engineered. It's a creation. Yeah, it's yeah. a creation. It's an artifact creature. <laughs> Right. You know what I need you to find the image of is the, I need you to find the image of the Funko Pop for the Deathclaw. Okay. <laughs> there is one. Yeah, of course uh, there is. Uh, I I was not expecting it, um, but here it is. I was just I googled <laughs> and, and here it is. So all right. So we so got this do, this toy. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're going to do our what does this boy sound like about this image. So I, I'm seeing there's two pictures in this picture that's it in, it in the yeah. box on the left and then it on the right, right? Same yeah. Image. Okay. Well, it looks, you know what position this is in? This is um, th- not the Tarrasque, the, the Star Wars monster. Um, it's in the exact same posture as the, the Star rancor. Wars monster. Yeah, it's a ran- it's a bit, little tiny rancor. It is like, a little tiny. You rancor. know the hands. The hands are like ha. I can hold. I got. You know, I got two guns. One for the each of you. Like it's yeah. doing the like ha. Like come at me, bro. <laughs> of like it's standing yeah. in the middle of the road like a like a Mothman cartoon. Yeah. If the and, rancor wasn't already the rancor, I would say that. Hey, look, Deathclaw Rancor, but I don't want to well, do that. Well, I would say that directly <laughs> in what the what this Funko Pop of the Deathclaw is, and I think this is very illustrative of actually figuring it out, is it's like halfway between the Rancor and a Gremlin. Yeah. it's it, Which is like, it's not colossally big, but it is huge. Yeah. And, and it's not, it's not like... It's not going to eat Luke Skywalker in one bite, but it is going to be very hard for him to kill it. Yeah. And and also, it's kind of like deadpan in its uh, visage. Like, this Funko Pop has, like, just, like, pale, kind of yellowish, tan- beige, round, dime-size eyes. Like, it, it's just... <laughs> It is the it is the most dead looking Funko Pop I've ever seen, which is saying a lot because a lot of them look like fuck puppets. There a lot of them look like Muppets that have lost their souls and, and been thrown into yeah. a terrible puppet purgatory. Yeah, and, but this one is really, really swinging swinging for the fences in terms of dead ass face. Yeah, but. In features, it's got some kind of um, uh, interesting tiefling uh, horns on top. Yeah. It is specifically rancor-colored, like it's a kind of a nutty brown in skin tone. It's got some some (laughs) quasi-symmetrical orcish uh, fangs. It's got some gremlin-y, stripey, tannish layers on its skin. And uh, kind of a, hey, come at me, bro, kind of like yeah. rancor stance. 
Um, I like this funk up funk. I like this Funko pop because here's the thing about the the Funkos. It's like they're a terrible a they're a terrible terrible plague on pop culture and humanity. Yes, thank and, you. But 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 B, they because of the simplicity and singularity of the medium, you can take a concept as. Um, as multifaceted as the Death Claw, which has been obviously manifest in dozens and dozens and dozens of versions in a like in a video game arc that has existed for honestly decades now at this point in in so many versions where it is it's it's both mysterious and specific and you gotta kill that one and this one and this one has the radio plague and this one's on fire and this one's shooting acid out of its butt. Yeah. And distill it into one damn idea. <laughs> and and it, it's finite enough where you can look at it and go, okay, that's a cute death claw. You're like, alright, it's kinda in between a gremlin and a, and a Tarrasque or a gremlin <laughs> and, and, a, and a Star Wars monster. You can you can say, like, all right, now I get it. Um, which I think is the actual utility of Funko Pops is, like, yeah. if, you have to, if you have to fit into a jerry can, if you have to fit into a 12-ounce bottle, what are you? And uh, I, I could... It, it helps to contextualize a complex thing in a simple package. So I, it's a, it's terrible, but it also shows like, (laughs) okay, I get it. Like you can, you can fit Faker or the death claw or Polly pocket or the T 1000 or Mickey mouse or any damn thing into a Funko and be like, all right, if it fit, if it's according to these dumbass little rules of this little plastic thing with this big dumb head, what version do we get? And, you know, all of a sudden it makes sense. I get it. It's kind of like a Rancor. It's kind of like Stripe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but what does this boy sound like? For um, yeah. for the Funko Pop toy, I would, yeah. s- I would say like a tiny Japanese girl be- <laughs> because it... Because it takes my beloved Deathclaw and puts it in this bubblegum... <laughs> Uh-huh. Never mind. I'm gonna go off about this forever. Yeah. Well, one, <laughs> you hate it, and two, yeah. theoretically, then would that would be the point where we would do our impressions of tiny Japanese girls? <laughs> yeah. And, no, I'm not and gonna we do would that. Be, we would we would get to be pre-canceled. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we would yeah, get to do our well, hilarious female Japanese impressions. That's what that I was would, gonna say. I'm would, not gonna do it. It's <laughs> that would that would that would. Ring like the death of a dungeon master in a in a dark alley across the internet. Yeah. So, so in lieu of doing that, but okay, um, okay. Uh, but I do want to say you explaining how Funko can explain to other people what a thing is has uh-huh. changed my opinion a little bit about it. So okay. there I am, a little less hateful, and I have grown <laughs> as a person. Thank you for this podcast. Uh, yes. Well, let me say, let me. I'm the. Fr- I will be the first person to say that I, I have a uh, complicated relationship to Funko Pops, um, not least of which because they are at the um, vanguard of a phenomenon that is literally 
my nightmare. Yeah. Um, and but but here's here's I have to tell you because I don't think I've ever explained this to you specifically, is I have a series of ongoing nightmares where toys from my childhood are remixed into complicated versions of themselves that I don't understand. No, I knew this. The, uh, Okay, and the worst part of that is that's happening in real time every time I go into, like, a nerdy shop. Yeah. Is I, one, I don't follow pop culture because it terrifies me, um, and and I like going into nerd stores, and one of the main things that they sell at nerd stores is remixes of shit from the 80s and 90s. Yeah. And it's, it's starting to outgrow original toys fairly quickly. Yeah. And the Funko Pops are... It, one one corner of the pyramid of didn't know this was going to be a version of this and i'm like Ugh. and but here's the thing when i have these nightmares they're very banal and the my experience yeah. is like i will walk into like the uh dream version of a sam goody and amongst all of the like cd racks and lps that nobody's buying will be a whole stand of like f- like Fakers from the from Masters of the Universe juxtaposed with uh, the Joker, and it's like there be there's like an undead Batman, and there's like a Wonder Woman that's upside down and silver. And now when I go into stores, that's all they're selling at nerd stores is <laughs> literally my nightmare. Yeah. And there's nothing actually scary about it except that I literally have nightmares about it. Like if yeah. I there's something about my brain has d- decided that's the worst thing that can be, and also people are constantly trying to sell it to you. <laughs> so. <laughs> So to say that my relationship with Funko Pops is like complicated is is doing it politely. Yeah, it's really downgrading it. It's <laughs> literally my nightmare. Um, but anyway, what a charming little devil boy! What a charming is. Death Claw! Uh, what a what a charming yeah. little charming little rancor baby! You can buy one now for way too fucking much. Ooh, <laughs> buy one now. Buy buy the. Buy this one dollar and eleven cent piece of plastic for eighteen ninety nine at your no. Nope, you're whatever. way off, dude. It's way more expensive and so ridiculous. I don't even want to say it. Uh, they're gonna. We're gonna. We, welcome to episode one of our ongoing feud with the Funko Pop Company. <laughs> um, I'm sure is inevitably owned by some goddamn Disney. Uh, subsidiary. Oh, of course it is. I don't want to get into a fight with them. So let's let's keep this to this episode. <laughs> I don't know. We'll find out. I guess we'll look. I guess we'll later. find out. <laughs> How dare you say it's way too fucking much? <laughs> yeah, ma- yeah. Uh, Oops, all monsters making enemies every other episode. That is our <laughs> our brand and our guarantee. Number one, J.J. Abrams. Number two, Funko Pop. Try to stop us. Come at us, bro. Oh, okay. <laughs> Here's something. Um, as far as uh, the Deathclaw being in movies, there's some mm. people in the Fallout community that are 100% convinced that the demon from the Scooby-Doo movie is, in fact, the Deathclaw. Like and the new Scooby-Doo movie? Yeah, Scooby-Doo 2002. Scooby-Doo 2002. There's wait, a, is that the one? Is that the one? Wait a second. Which one is that one? I think they're on an I'm island. Looking, no, no, no. Are they human people? Or um, is it... Oh, I don't or know. They, or are they animated? 
Uh, oh, they're... Oh, no. They, yeah, that's the one I thought it was. It's the one with uh, SLC Punk. Yeah. Matthew Lillard. Matthew Lillard. Matthew Lillard and, will cry at any given moment. <laughs> also, he will uh, act in your movies. Also, he'll act in your movies. Yeah, he's a pretty he's reachable also, guy. Separately, he's an actor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, is that like Sarah Michelle Geller? Who is that's Buffy, right? Sarah Michelle Geller and um, Velma crap. <laughs> Who's the chick that's doing Velma in this? God, I can't believe. This oh, she, it's it's amazing who she is because I, I forget. I know. Oh, it's Linda Cardellini. Oh, I thought it was Linda Cardellini, but then I thought no, that yeah, <laughs> she's too thick to be Linda Cardellini. No, that's just Velma. (laughs) Well, well, she's wearing a double Velma sweater in any case. Yeah. I hear... This this, this story is by James Gunn. I have to watch this movie. Yeah. This movie might secretly be kind of... And it's got Rowan Atkinson. I I have to watch this movie tonight now. It's probably secretly amusing. Yeah. My brain is warping in a very particular way right at this moment. Yeah. Because I... uh, Isn't doing the Death Claw weird? Uh, I'm going to put my money down on if you have already canceled James Gunn or going to try to cancel James Gunn later, you can literally eat my asshole. (laughs) Um, But but separately, Linda Cardellini is a goddamn uh, delight. And I require no other proof than Grandma's Boy. And I don't care if it... I don't I don't care that it's made by uh, somebody that you might not like, but Grandma's Boy is fucking magic. No, gra- she, I love she, Grandma's and Boy. She, and she is a perfect uh, angel person. Grandma's probably, Boy is a really funny movie. <laughs> we'll probably find out next week that she secretly eats puppy abortions. But as far as I know, Linda Cardellini is Yeah, uh, celebrities magic. are dropping left and right. <laughs> <laughs> but until I find out that she's eating puppy abortions, Linda Cardellini is a delightful yeah, movie. Yeah, Linda Cardellini, um, thank Thank you for being in the Death Claw episode of Oops All Monsters. Now that I heard that James Gunn did this movie, then I'm, I'm pretty sure it is a Death Claw then. Yeah. You know, I saw <laughs> James Gunn at the Starbucks on La Brea and Wilshire one time. Yeah. So, and he's very tall. I So oh, I yeah. lived... I lived right next to a Starbucks. I lived on Detroit Street, which is parallel to La Brea, which nobody cares about, and you cannot even... Nobody cares. Yeah. But it's a it's a major intersection in uh, mid-city, in like historic um, mid-city slash Miracle Mile in Los Angeles. And yeah. it's, not a, it's not a cool place to live. It's like weird. Because I knew what James Gunn looked like yeah. when I... Because I sent him an email back when I had a... Fa- uh, no, not a Facebook. A MySpace page. And Slither had come out. Yeah. And I was yeah. like... There is, and I, upon seeing Slither, I was a big fan of it because I was already a Nathan Fillion fan, and I'm a, like a weird body horror fan and a Cronenberg fan, and it combined so many things that I was like naturally bought into. And I, I saw Slither, and I went, God damn, there's so many, the Venn diagram between Slither and um, one of my top three favorite horror movies, Night of the Creeps, um, the Venn diagram is mostly purple. You've got like slug monsters that go inside of you and they breathe and they kind of turn you into a zombie and then you explode and then it turns into more slug monsters and blah, 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 blah. And so I actually, 
I looked up his email at the time. I said, I was like, eh, you know, like the internet's small at this period of time. I bet I could look up his email, and I did. Yeah. And I emailed him that evening while I was like working at the pool hall. And the next morning, I had an email back from him talking about that it was really just parallel thinking. And I don't think he was full of shit. I think he was genuinely... Uh, I don't think he was legally covering his ass. I think his actual position that was actually true was that he had parallel thinking about various elements and it's been brought up to him by other people and that just the 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 slug monster thing yeah, and the small town and the coincidences were genuine coincidences because yeah. I... I believe in parallel thinking, and yeah. I would not. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna rag on um, James Gunn for stealing that idea. I think that he had a good idea, and it was the. It was a similar good idea to. Well, um, yeah, yeah. One of I, my favorite directors who created Night of the Creeps in the '80s. Absolutely, I had I had this joke that I told for like months in a row where I said I was gonna put food up my butt and poop out my mouth. And then, uh, <laughs> and then that South Park episode came out like right in the middle of me uh, enjoying my new joke. So I believe in parallel thinking. Yeah. So I <laughs> no, absolutely. I I have I have no doubt, honestly, um, that James Gunn just ended up being on a parallel thinking track to Fred Decker, who was the writer and director of Night of the Creeps from yeah. from the eighties, um, and who is also canonically interesting because he created the Monster Squad and a bunch of other interesting kind of like tongue and cheap cheek horror he's like one of the main horror yeah slash comedy guys originally other than john landis suffering from the whoopsies what the hell's the whoopsies i don't think i've ever gotten the whoopsies And now for a segment we are calling Describing Nick Cave, where we describe a particular photo of musician, songwriter, renaissance man, and all-around weird dude, Nick Cave. It's like a little birthday party every episode. <laughs> so in this one, it's a black and white image. It's not, it's like, not super recent. Okay, there's a lot going on in this. It's a black and it's a posed black and white image. Yeah. He's always wearing a black suit, so I don't even know why I would even mention that. Yeah. But both him and comically a black and white dog that looks like it's like just run in from the Little Rascals set yeah. have co like hilarious mustaches. The dog is probably not real, but he looks to have basically the the Nick Cage Nick Cave version of a Hulk Hogan mustache. Yeah. It's just like an upside down U going from the mustache down uh, down onto the chin. The forever um, frown. Yeah, he looks okay. So he kind of looks like the wooly willy magnetic like 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 face toy. You know what I mean? You remember yeah. you had one of those when you were a kid? I know I did. It was like the plastic like thing with like you could give the guy a mustache. It came with a, like a little, yeah. like a magnetic, magnetic stylus. Man, the Zoom. Wooly Willy. Yeah, Wooly Willy. The, the, the Zoomers are going to be, the, these guys are fucking out of it. Send them to the home. No, Wooly Willy, back in the old timey analog days, the really, really analog days, 
Yeah. And you can get them now as there's like women, there's like a female version that looks like uh, the girl from Cabaret. But um, Wooly Willie was the original yeah. one, and it was like this pretty, it's just like this guy with this round face, kind of looked like an old timey like weightlifter. Yeah. And there was a bunch of magnetic dust trapped in the like plastic bubble, and you would use the magnetic stylus to like drag it into like facial hair. And this looks like Nick Cave has been woolly willied into like the best Hulk Hogan you could imagine. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but he's also giving a like a defuck kind of uh, yeah. stare into the camera. But yeah. he's also doing the the pose he's doing. I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's Mick Jagger in Dancing in the Streets with David Bowie. Yeah, it's, it's like I'm putting my I'm I'm pretending that I have any kind of masculine presence, which I get from <laughs> having an incredibly deep voice and probably being like six foot five. <laughs> but if you notice, I'm the shape of a praying mantis in a in like a in a few <laughs> Undertaker's costume. Uh, yeah. And uh, I wonder if that's his dog or what. I want to get the story on that. But um, it might be. <laughs> he looks. Man, he's a weird-looking dude. <laughs> he is, he's definitely happy to be with the dog, but mm. in a way that Nick Cave is happy. Yeah, he's not like, He's, he's not tolerating <laughs> the presence of the dog. He's like, yeah, it's me and my fucking yes. dog. Like, this is me the, and me my and the, dog. Me and this and dog this is, are in this, this situation. This is ideal. Yeah, right. <laughs> Finally, they let me take the, the, the album yeah. photo I've been wanting to take, you sons of bitches. Yeah. Yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's definitely aware that the dog is there, and also aware that it's a uh, like a um, posing photo. Mm. He's supposed to be yeah, it's, looking it's a certain contrived. way for the photo, and he knows that he doesn't have to care. So he's not caring, but he doesn't care that he doesn't have to care. <laughs> yeah, he um... and he's absolutely elated. You can tell. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now that now that you say it, I think you're right. I think this is about as happy as as uh, Nick Cave ever looks, which is like <laughs> <Yeah>. mildly apprehensive. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot wait to pet the dog. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the dog almost looks comped in. The dog is more confused than Nick Cave is, probably because he has a <laughs> mustache on. Yeah, probably because he's got to sit with the mustache. Whatever Mishigas was necessary in order to, to wrangle the mustache out of the dog is yeah, confusing that dog. And, I now need to yeah, know the story of Nick Cave's this fucking dog. Yeah, it's, I'm sure Nick Cave is thinking it's so much easier for me to have the mustache, and I wonder if the dog is in any distress. Another, yeah, another take. <laughs> another take on this is. Um, Nick Cave has decided to abscond to Mexico with all of his money. Uh, and this is his new passport photo. This is... Uh, this is... Uh, Nigel Gave. Uh, this is Miguel Gave, who, um, who... Who lives in... Who, who lives south of the border. Um, and is terrible at guitar. Yeah, <laughs> uh, can, can can't read music, cannot sing. He's uh, he's a simple soybean farmer. Yeah, and I know that people will ask me if this is my dog, and I'll just give the response: the dog is who I'm visiting. <laughs> yeah, the dog is my the, the the dog is my American cousin's dog. The, yeah. is, the dog is an illegal alien from Detroit. <laughs> I'm 
Oh, I'm loving this. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of Oops All Monsters. We're kind of like building the train as it's in motion in these early episodes. Um, if I have, if we have not already propped it, or if we have not already dropped it into um, some interstitials or advertisement pieces, you can hit us up at oopsallmonsters at gmail.com with your recommendations about monsters that we should do in the future, or like just general thumbs up and you guys rule messages. That would be nice. Um, uh, or trolling, I guess, because, I mean, people are terrible. Uh, separately, if you could please hit us uh, on iTunes and give us a five-star review there and a comment, because the uh, economy of being a podcast just requires that, whether anybody likes it or not. So if you would be so generous to go to iTunes and and rate and review us on there positively and your other different platforms, whether you use something else, also hit us up on there. That can also be useful. Uh, additionally, we are now officially on Net uh, Netflix. We are now officially on Instagram with Oops All Monsters on Instagram. That's about one of the only social medias that I can deal with interacting with. So, yeah. if you want to see the visuals that we are going to be uh, bringing out in parallel for what we're looking about when we talk about. Uh, these monsters and characters in different segments. You go on Instagram on Oops All Monsters and you can see them there so you are laughing along with the same picture that we're talking about. Um, but other than that, thank you for being with us and uh, and listening to our total nonsense while we're in the, the middle of creating this thing organically in real time. We really appreciate it. Um, cool. So for Gavin and for me... Thank you again for uh, sticking a, another one out with us uh, on Oops All Monsters. We'll be back next week. Thank and you very much. Say, uh, but dip, but dip, but dip, uh. a, a numinous grazie, a spiritus thank you. D- define aperitif for me. Um, aperitif is, well, <laughs> I have it written down. You know what it is. But I've been yeah. saying appetif with no R for like 18 years, so. Uh, it's okay. new to me, and it's the opposite of a digestif, which is a drink that you have before eating that gets uh-huh. you in the mood to eat. Typically alcoholic, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, um, so they're like, um, they're rarely in America, mostly now you will find them at hipster douchebag places in LA and New York. Where yeah. Just try to, they want to sell you a dish, one additional thing for $5. Yeah. But where like the place they can actually refer to them existing is uh, at the York on York Boulevard in Highland Park in Los Angeles. Yeah. They will sell you one of the traditional, like, um, German, like, Jaeger flavored anise things it's called like it starts with a b i forget what it is but it, basically it's like a it's like a weird tasting jaeger shot yeah. um that is you know 29 percent alcohol yeah. and meant meant for you meant to prepare your body for the business of eating a meal which is like i don't think that's a thing well i can i have something to say about that as a hardcore alcoholic for a long time i would say that Yes, I did need something to drink before I ate because otherwise I'd just throw it up with a bunch of bile. But that 
That's for like shaky homeless people. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's well, yeah, it's yeah, well, and probably fifteenth uh, century Germans. Which yeah, fifteenth like, century. The yeah, between those two is like is probably pretty intense. Uh, <laughs> spend, spend a lot of time drinking before eating, and I'll tell you this: yeah. Beast Ice is not an aperitif. Uh, I don't know. I uh, yeah. I think Beast Ice at most is like a a a black creature. Yeah. Uh, Yes, it's definitely a swamp mana creature. uh, Yeah. Swamp. Unholy ritual or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um. all All right. Well. So I've been Aaron, and this has been Gavin, and we've been oops, oops, all monsters, oops, 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 all death claws, oops, all death claws. Look at all these death claws. This is an abomination. This is a gargoyle.